In, in Ruth, let's look, if you will, chapter two and verse 15. I'm gonna make reference to several verses here uh, and I, I, I hope to get the message completed today. If I don't, maybe I'll pick it up Wednesday night. If not, uh, I'll finish it sometime, okay? And I love the book of Ruth. My, what a tremendous book. And, and people ask a lot, uh, when you study about a book, you're going to do a, a study, an in-depth study in a book. What do you do? Uh, and and I, I hope maybe that it will help you some. That it's not that you need to do things like me, it's just you need to develop a plan to be able to study effectively the Word of God. And the book of Ruth is a good place to start. It's not very long, just four chapters, and the four chapters that are there, uh, it is a wonderful picture of God's goodness and, and how the Lord takes care of his own and provides for his own. In chapter two, what's happened now, Boaz is a kinsman. Elimelech has died. And with all of that being said, uh, now Ruth is gleaning to survive out of the fields of Boaz. And they've now had a meal together. She's set with the reapers and she's now gotten up from the meal satisfied. Now, I have to throw this in. That's why I said I might, I don't know how long I'll get into this because there's so much here. When you ever eat at the Redeemer's table, <laughs> I promise you, you'll leave satisfied. <laughs> we may not be satisfied with a lot of things in life, but I promise you, you'll always be satisfied with Jesus. He never disappoints. He may be disappointed in us, but he never disappoints us. He's always there to give us what we need. So now she's gone. So she's not aware of the conversation that's taken place in verse 15 because she's risen up to glean. And Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose. Notice how that's phrased. Handfuls of purpose, not handfuls on purpose. Changes the whole meaning of that one, one verse. You see, if you use purpose one way and use purpose as another way in a sentence, it changes the meaning of the word. So this is not handfuls on purpose, it's handfuls of purpose for her specifically for her and leave them that she may glean and rebuke her not. There's a lot of ways that you can look at the book of Ruth. One thing is, is that I always have a pattern that I look at everything and I look at the book of Ruth historically. What's the setting? This tells us a lot about the economics, a lot about the social structure of Israel during this time. They've experienced a famine. That's why this book came to be. Elimelech leaves with his wife Naomi, goes down to Moab, leaves the promised land of God to go into Moab. And there in Moab, Elimelech dies. Their boys are there. They've gone with them. They've taken wives now from the citizenship of Moab. Two Moabites have now married their sons. They die. And finally, Naomi returns back. 
So it tells us a lot about the social structure, the economics. Do you know that he's still God in the middle of famine? Sometimes I don't understand why people don't look at the things that's happening and see that it's just a way that God allows things to come into our life to get us to see our dependence on him. Not only do we see it historically, but we see it prophetically. This is the start, in one sense of the word, of the lineage of David. And eventually, the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, come from the lineage of David. So prophetically, this is a precursor to eventually the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the family tree of Jesus and how that his lineage through his mother has gone all the way back in his, and the, the way that God has prepared everything in that lineage to fulfill his word. We can look at it practically because they had to live day by day. We had a man that attended our church here years ago that grew up in the depression. And one time I had the privilege to sit down and we, we spent maybe an hour together and uh, I asked him what it was like going through the depression. He was about uh, eight years old and he had to quit school in order to start working because he, he said, I felt like I learned all they could teach me anyway, <laughs> which wasn't true. He was a very intellectual man and God blessed his life and, and the Lord blessed his business, but I, I wanted to find out what that was like. And he said, preacher, do you know it's hard for this generation, it's hard for you to understand, and I don't mean that negatively, he said, but really, during that time, he said, I had no father, it was me and my mother, and she said, he said, literally, we worked every day to eat every night. Now you think about that. In other words, what they did of the day provided for them to survive of the night. That's a picture of the book of Ruth, living one day at a time. Do you know you can only live one day at a time? You can't live, you can't live for tomorrow. You can't, you can't go into the future. You can't go back and undo the past. All you have to live in is right now. So there's a practical application to us from this book. That is that we need to learn to trust Jesus every day. We need to learn to trust him right now. We can look at it also doctrinally. It is a picture where Elimelech goes into a far country, but from the far country, a Gentile bride is brought back to the promised land. So Elimelech leaves the promised land to go into a, to a far country, but out of that, he gains a Gentile bride for, for his sons, and they come back to be part of the promised land, and it's a picture that they are accepted. Finally, Ruth is accepted into the family through Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. That's a picture of how you and I get in the family of God. I say it a lot, but I'll remind you again today. We are not worthy of what God has done for us. We have no Jewish rights. We can claim no Jewish rights. We're not under the Old Testament covenant by the fact that we have a blood right to that. 
Our lineage lies in the fact that we weren't allowed to get in, but Jesus let us in. He said, I'm going to let whosoever will come unto me that they might be saved. So doctrinally, it's telling us that the arms of God is open to receive anybody that will come to him. He knows everything about you, knows where you're from, but he still loves you and invites you this morning to turn to him and come to him. We can look at it in typology. There's character studies that are involved in this. For example, you can look at Naomi herself. In chapter one and verse 21, you'll read the fact she makes a statement. She said, I went out full, but have come again empty. It's a picture of how when we make our own decisions and go in certain directions, it's not that you won't still be saved but you'll be hungry. In other words, God won't stop you from doing what you, just because you're saved, don't ever feel like God's going to force you to live for him or God's going to force you to do what's right. God doesn't do that. God still gives you the power of choice. Even if you make a wrong choice, you have the power of choice. And they made a decision that not only affected them, but it affected their whole family. So she said, I went out of this place full. Isn't that something? They left Bethlehem of Judah. Bethlehem means house of bread. Judah means praise. They go to Moab. Moab, the Bible says in Psalm 60 and verse eight, is called God. God refers to Moab as the washpot. Do you know why he looked down on Moab? Moab came about through an incestuous relationship between Lot and, and his, own, his own flesh and blood. And by the way, uh, that's still sin. I know you don't hear the word S-I-N very much, and I know people don't like that word, but there's some things I can stand here all day and say, God will forgive you of your sin. But if I don't ever take opportunities every now and then to tell you some things are sin, right. then you'll start believing that wrong is right. That's not right. Preach on, brother. It's not right. It's wrong. It's sin. So out of this incestuous relationship, then all of this heartache and grief came about. They left the land of praise and they left the house of bread to go into a far country to come back saying, it's strange how she worded. They left supposedly because of a famine, but she said, I left full and came back empty. God will let you go some places, but you're gonna do it on your own dime and you're gonna do it on your own time. He's not gonna bless you for it. And that's a picture of how we need to concentrate. Every step that we make in life, is it the will of God? Will I be better if I do this? Will I be worse off spiritually if I do this? We need to seek God and what he wants when we make a journey in a certain direction. We could talk about Ruth, verse 18 of chapter one says, she was steadfastly minded steadfastly minded. In other words, she made her mind up. Do you know why you're here at church today? You made your mind up. Do, do you know why that you see certain things happen in your Christian life? You make your mind up. 
I mean, you have to make your mind up to pray. You have to make your mind up to read your Bible. You have to make your mind up to attend church. You have to make your mind up to tell others about Jesus. And by the way, if you've got your mind made up, nobody can talk you out of it. That's when troubles and trials and problems come, let it come. It's not that you enjoy it, but nobody can ever make you doubt that you're any less saved because you're going through something because you made your mind up. When I got saved, I made my mind up. I'm going to serve God and do the best that I can. You've got to make your mind up about some things in life and stay steadfastly minded. Then by the time that you get into verse 15, we read of Orpah, the other sister-in-law that had married one of the brothers. When they first started to come back, Naomi said, I'm going back. I'm going back to the land of God. I'm going back where I came from. Both of them made a commitment to go with her. But you'll find out in verse 15 that they refer to Orpah. And the Bible basically says that she returned and has gone back to her people and to her gods. That's a picture of backsliding. Somebody said, preacher, do you believe in backsliding? (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people practice it. You can go back. I mean, you have to make your mind up to go forward no matter what you, you may not know what's out there, you may not know what's going, but it's a lot easier to go back than it is to go forward. But I've, I've examined this thing. Maybe you're different than me. If you'll just sit down and think about it for just a little bit, what is there to go back to after you meet the Lord? I mean, really, what is worth going back to? The life of sin that was destroying you? Uh, the hopelessness that you had? Uh, what's worth going back to? I, I have to tell you, it's way better to be where God wants you and it's way better to be saved and serve the Lord. I don't know why anybody would want to go back to false gods after they meet the true and the living God. Uh, I don't know why anybody would want to trade Jesus for somebody else that walks on this earth when he's the friend that sticks closer than any brother and he's with us always even to the end of this earth. Why would you choose to go back? But people do. We could talk about Boaz. In chapter three and verse 18, the Bible says the man, Boaz, will not be in rest until he finished the thing this day. The Redeemer finishes the work that he starts. Anything that Jesus starts, he completes. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. When he starts a good work in you, he will perform it. Just because maybe you've altered course, maybe you've gone a different direction, that doesn't mean that he still doesn't have the same job for you to do. The calling of God, the works of God, the leadership of God are callings without repentance. God's never sorry that he's purposed your life in a certain direction. We may be sorry and listen to the enemy when he speaks to our mind and to our heart. We may be sorry about it, but God's never sorry about it. Another way that I have studied this, I told you I wouldn't get finished. Don't worry. This is like a 
tube of baloney, roll of baloney. I can cut it off anywhere and it's still baloney. Still good to eat. Another way that we could look at this is by the individual chapters. You can study the book by chapters. Each chapter has its own message within itself. In chapter one, we see Ruth deciding to follow. Chapter two, we see Ruth gleaning in the field. Chapter three, we see Ruth resting at the master's feet. Chapter four, we see Ruth rejoicing in fellowship. In chapter one, we read about the far country. Chapter two, we read about the field. Chapter three, we read about the threshing floor. And chapter four, we read about the family court where the redemption was completed. In chapter one, we see Ruth walking by faith. In chapter two, we see her working in the field. In chapter three, we see her waiting at the Redeemer's feet. In chapter four, we see her welcome into the family. In chapter one, we see Boaz, the Redeemer, is waiting. In chapter two, we see the Redeemer is watching. In chapter three, we see the Redeemer is willing. And in chapter four, we see the Redeemer at the wedding. Do you know in your Bible, Ruth is introduced five times. On five occasions, she's introduced in your Bible. Five times. On the first introduction here in this passage, the first time they introduced her, not by name, they said she is a woman of Moab. The second time she was introduced to Boaz and she's called the Moabitess damsel. The third time she's introduced to the people of Bethlehem as Ruth the Moabitess. The fourth time they introduce her to the elders of the city and of the village and she's called Ruth the Moabitess. Every time that she's mentioned, she is called Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. Moab is tied to her name. She's always of that particular, particular lineage that says she is out of a sinful group of people, a people that have been cursed by God. And every time she's mentioned, the curse is tied to her, either directly to her name or to her person. All they ever saw her as in the book of Ruth is a Moabite, which means that she's out of that place of sin. But when you get to Matthew chapter one, she's mentioned one other time, and when you get to Matthew chapter one, all you'll read about Ruth, it just says Ruth. It doesn't say anything about Moab. It doesn't say anything about where she came from. It doesn't say anything about her, her family heritage. She's just Ruth. Now, why does Matthew leave off the phrase Moabite? Can I tell you why? She's known as Ruth when you get to the New Testament because Matthew is writing after the wedding. In other words, once she's married to the Redeemer, the past is now gone. Thank God, I'm glad when the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see us for our past. He doesn't look at us and name us by our sin or what sin we came out of. He now looks at us as part of the bride of Christ and he says, all of that that you came from, it's forgiven, it's past. 
we have in the text handfuls of purpose. Now you remember when I said there's a big difference between handfuls of purpose and handfuls on purpose. One is a noun. The other is not used as a noun, it's a verb. One, which is used in our text, handfuls on purpose, if something is on purpose, that gives you the explanation for it. If it is of purpose, that means the purpose is yet to be determined and it tells you the intention of it. So in this passage, we don't have what the explanation or what the intention is, we have what the explanation is. He said, I'm going to explain to you, these are here and the explanation is in this book. Why did she get this? Why did she receive handfuls of purpose? Come back the next message, I'll tell you. 